This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Everybody, how's it going? Thanks for coming by. I've got a great stream this afternoon with a guest I think you're really going to enjoy. We're going to be talking about the destruction of America's past. We're going to be looking at why the left is so obsessed with revisionism, why it needs to go back and censor books, reconstruct classic child tales, why it needs to tear down statues, and why everything is year zero. Joining me this afternoon is the Prudentialist. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks again for having me on, Warren. Greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. And we're going to be getting into all kinds of stuff about why this is happening, why progressives are so obsessed with this. But before we do, let me go ahead and tell you about the sponsor for today's show. Hey, guys, I know a lot of you are taking care of yourselves. You're working out and you're watching what you eat. And that's great because you got to start taking care of things like your liver. Why? Well, because the latest data from the American Heart Association shows that adults with fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those that avoid it. The American Liver Foundation says that over 100 million Americans already have fatty liver, which means a lot of people are at risk. There are so many things in our daily lives that can impact your liver. Cholesterol, alcohol, toxins. If you're leaning on things like Tylenol or statins, it can all have an impact. That's why so many people have a sluggish, fatty liver that makes them gain weight and lose energy. Your liver has a ton of key functions, which is why you want to take care of it, and Liver Health Formula can help. It's an all-natural supplement that contains 12 clinically proven botanicals, which help to recharge and protect your liver. It's also manufactured right here in the United States and approved by American doctors. Diet and exercise are key, but if you want to add something that will protect your liver and boost your energy, Try Liver Health Formula and receive five free gifts when you order today. First, you receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings. You also get four free ebooks to support every aspect of your health. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Oren and claim your five free bonus gifts. That's getliverhelp.com slash Oren. There's a link in the description down below that'll take you right to it. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So as many of you have probably heard, uh, there's been a big uh, you know, ruckus about different authors having their work censored, specifically child's, uh, children's authors. We've seen uh, children's authors like Roald Dahl's work get censored. Obviously, he is not with us anymore, and so his uh, works have been altered after his death. But we even found out that the works of people like R.L. Stein, uh, someone I remember reading when I was a kid, you know, the first person to introduce me to the idea of horror, kind of spooky uh, stories as a kid, something that I really loved when I was young. Uh, you know, he, uh, his stuff got censored. And the funny thing was, yeah, there was the story that came out and they said, we can't believe there's this rash of authors doing this. Can you believe even you know living authors like R.L. Stein are saying, oh yes, let's go ahead and alter this. And then R.L. Stein comes out and says, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I never authorized this. And it turns out that his books were altered behind his back without any knowledge 
you know, removing things like uh, uh, allusions to slavery. Uh, uh, you know, there's uh, in, in Roald Dahl's books, they remove like people being fat. They, you know, they're just, just all the kinds of stuff that you would expect, all the politically correct censorship, all the woke censorship. And as you can expect, just a lot of people are very outraged about this. The, the funniest one to me was Nick Land. Nick Land was particularly angry about Roald Dahl's books getting uh, getting censored. I'm not sure why that one triggered him uh, particularly. But uh, let me ask you, Prudentialist, did you read any of these when you were wrong? I read a lot of R.L. Stein, but I only think I really watched the movies of things like, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or uh, you know, James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, no, I read both a lot as a kid. Goosebumps was quite enjoyable, as was the little uh, television program that they had covering some of their stories. And uh, I've read a lot of Roald Dahl books. And, you know, it's kind of funny to see that the witches are getting their revenge and editing his books long after he's gone. And uh, it's not surprising. I mean, we've seen a lot of other things throughout 2020, throughout the French Revolution, where histories and records have been altered or changed to, to fit the history of this new ideology that takes place in our world. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the left, of course, warned about all of this stuff. Oh, the censorship. Oh, they're, they're going to come back and they're going to remove everything. And these totalitarians are going to completely control history and control the masses. And, you know, we, we got books like 1984 that are taught in every high school warning us about what was going to come with this. And now it's the left leading this charge. They're fine with all of the, you know, all of the aspects of totalitarian, uh, you know, kind of like techno capital that they warned about, but now it's just on their side. So it's fine. Like, don't, don't freak out. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Yeah. I, I think that this is primarily because the, the concerns of 1984 where Orwell is writing against the, you know, terrors and dangers of Stalinism. Well, it kind of fits rather well with what the, you know, what we would consider liberal or progressives today want. In fact, there was a, a great book I've been reading by a, a Polish gentleman who was in the resistance against the USSR called The Demon in Democracy, The Totalitarian Temptations in Free Societies. And what he was writing was, is that, well, the reason why a lot of communist ideas or individuals never got punished after the Cold War is because a lot of their ideas and end goals for an end of history, a progressive, never-ending revolution, still fit very much in line with a lot of our, our liberal and progressive values in the West, which gives us very easy to have certain ideas about censorship or having things change behind our back to fit a new political narrative, a new national history, a new civic religion. Um, because a lot of the, these two, you know, ideologies, liberalism and uh, communism share very distinct end respective goals, whether that's to uh, enlighten and elaborate to ensure that all of the masses are put equally on this egalitarian plane or that there is total liberation from hierarchy. And so Anything that we see with regards to allusions to fatness, intelligence, quality, character, the history of men that they would consider to be oppressive happens time and time again um, throughout our you know, politics right now. It's not just these children's books. This is just the latest wave of things. Even in the UK, the Welsh government was talking about destroying and taking down statues of people like wellington and countless others where they literally say statues of old white men may need to be destroyed according to their uh concerns about the british empire so a lot of this stuff has also come here at home for the united states and it's a tale as old as time when it comes to revolutionary ideas i mean during the french revolution um you know they destroyed the, the mainly a lot of peasants and farm workers had destroyed quite a bit of records and written documents from government officials because they associated it with oppression, uh, whether it would be tax documents or ledgers. So um, changing children's books, just as we've seen with, say, Drag Queen Story Hour, if they can indoctrinate you earlier and earlier to prevent any other worldview from existing, then it makes it very easy to look at people and say, well, why would you deny you know, this part of your history? You know, whether that be some progressive narrative or saying that, you know, you can be healthy at every size. This is the sort of uh, madness that we're dealing with. Yeah, it really is an erosion of kind of all understanding of what came before. And uh, Steve Fitch here has a great uh, quote. I'll just throw it up real quick. The left porn uh, books for kids. Good. Using the word fat. Bad. And that's really comical, but it's it's literally exactly what's happening. Right. We have to shove 
the sexual indoctrination of children into every school library in the United States. You know, they, it's funny because at the same time that they're, they're altering these books, they're literally just showing they're, they're getting these uh, staged photos and staged videos of uh, school librarians purging the books that Ron DeSantis has banned from Florida libraries. It's like, Oh, so how many porn books did you have in your children's library right but but this at the same time you know they're 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 doing this and saying how could you attack books how could you ban books they're literally going back and adjusting these books without the knowledge of living authors it's not even dead authors it's not even you know the death of the author that enables the reconstruction of the work it's literally you know living authors without even letting them know without obtaining you know their uh, their consent they're going back and completely removing anything that might rub people the wrong way. Or it, or here's the truth. It doesn't rub people the wrong way. It's things that they want to make sure to eliminate the concept of, right? If you can get the concept out, if you can get that away from children young, then you can go ahead and alter their reality going forward. And so it's a really essential part of their project. And I really think it's interesting that you have something like 1984 out there because, of course, 1984, it's it's in many ways written for the masses. It's there to warn people about what's going to happen. But the kind of omnipresent uh, nature of that narrative, that warning, doesn't seem to have caused anyone hesitation when it comes to the actual, actual implementation of the totalitarian ideology. It really tells you that it doesn't matter you know, telling, warning the masses about an inevitable outcome really has almost no impact on their actual behavior. Yeah. And like you had said, if you can totally rewrite history and you can start them young, that's sort of the way to keep things socialized on this never ending march of revolution and liberation. I mean, a, a really good example of this, as we've talked about, are these sort of books that are based are pornographic in nature, as well as the drag queen story hour. I mean, in a, a normal social studies environment, we would see things like sinophobia, right? Like the fear of dogs. And the way that you would get children to be less afraid of dogs is that you would expose them to dogs and other children engage in sort of lively play or in a pleasant and calm environment that other people are encouraging you to participate in. And eventually that breaks down the fear. And the same way that you can do that with Drag Queen Story Hour, things that would naturally trigger the uncanny valley or a sense of disgust. If you get to them early, you can do so. And the same thing with these sort of books, whether it's with children's books, the access to pornographic material as quote unquote sex ed and public education. All that this illustrates is, is that if you can change someone's opinion and get them conditioned and socialized, it makes it very easy for them to rat on their parents if they hold differing beliefs. It's the again, it goes back to, you know, that that book, Demon and Democracy. The, the problem is, is that, you know, very easily to transfer the idea of, you know, children in, in socialist republics of the Soviet Union reporting on their parents for, you know, counter-revolutionary thought. The same thing can happen. I imagine in the future, and we've already seen it, where some parents would uh, be reported to the FBI by their, you know, progressive teenage kids because they went to the Capitol on January 6th. Yeah, turning the child against the parent is kind of the the final step of the total state, right? When, once you have completely destroyed that most fundamental bond and loyalty of literally the person who gave birth and cared for you, um, then then there's nothing the government can't control. And so that's why, you know, no, no matter what the totalitarian system, mastering the ability to break through and destroy that barrier between parent or that uh, bond between parent and child really is w one of the key functions uh, of the state when they want to do that. And I think you're also right to point out the important overlap between kind of the the eternal revolution of the communist and the eternal revolution of the liberal, you know, like you're saying French revolution, you know, what do they do? They don't just, uh, they don't just, you know, tear down Notre Dame. They immediately install the goddess of reason in Notre Dame, right? Because we need to, it's not enough to just desecrate. You need to replace, you need to, you need to exalt something else in its place because the left, even though they wouldn't admit this immediately out loud, definitely understands the need for, a ruling ideology for a ruling religion. They understand um, that there needs to be a state religion and that you must replace, uh, you know, the, that which was held sacred with something new. And so you might, you know, D you might take it away from the divine. You might uh, take it away from the realm of the supernatural, but you can't just leave that void there. You have to fill that. And that's something that conservatives 
ironically, don't seem to understand. They think they can just strip wokeness, you know, remove CRT, whatever, out of a school system, out of society, and then just return to some kind of neutral state. But the left understands that iconoclasm needs to be followed by the uh, re- uh, you know, the, the creation of your own gods, your own statues, your own mythos, your own belief system that will fill that spiritual void, whether they're willing to turn it into you know, or acknowledge it in spiritual terms or not. Absolutely. And I think that the progressive side of our of our liberal state that we do live in, um, you know, there's a great Twitter account um, named Kovefe Anon that has a really great phrase, the woke are more correct than the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so, like you had said, they know that you need to have a ruling ideology, a ruling religion, and you have to replace or subsume, or as you like to tweet, they'll take your religion and wear it as a skin suit uh, in order to get their ideology across. They're also more correct because they need to make sure that all essences of the past are totally destroyed or better yet, are totally illustrated in a negative light so that people are going to be aware of the social consequences of being associated with it. I mean, the the Roman Empire had something known as damnatio memore, where they would totally erase your imagery They would try and destroy you from any official records of your existence if you were ever considered a traitor to the emperor, the nation, or the Roman ideal, to where you could have family portraits and someone on that portrait's face is literally scrubbed out of existence. I mean, the Soviets had done the same thing with their um, images being edited by Stalin, and now we're seeing the same thing here with this sort of stealth edits of television shows, certain episodes being removed, whether it be South Park or Seinfeld, and now with children's literature as well. So yes, this uh, form of iconoclasm has a long history um, throughout humanity when there's time for revolution or to maintain control of your own population if people get too rowdy. Yeah, and I just wanted to play a little bit of footage. I mean, I'm sure we're all very familiar with this, but you know, a few it's not even a few years ago at this point. When did the, the statues must fall movement begin at this point? Uh, four years ago, perhaps. Um, uh, yeah, probably 2020 is really when it kicked off, but it had started even earlier. I mean, our, our good friend, Alexander Adams, who's a, an artist and also an, an author, he wrote a book literally called iconoclasm identity politics and the erasure of history back in 2018, I think. And, you know, this it's been going on for quite some time that, you know, it'll start with, you know, Confederate statues as Trump warned while he was in office. And now we're talking about trying to get rid of, you know, Jefferson. I think New York City just a couple of years back had taken down the statue of President Theodore Roosevelt from the Natural History Museum in New York City. So um, once you start, you know, you have to go the full way here. And right now what we seem to be showing off is just that And this constantly egalitarian, anti-racist, liberal, progressive society that we want to use America to be the ultimate example of, that means sort of demonstrating the absolute destruction and erasure of its, you know, white settler frontiersman past. And it's it's interesting because, of course, we see this all the time, right? We see we see this on every uh, every front when it comes to, unfortunately, many mainstream conservatives. But they started with the Confederate statues and there were suddenly many, you know, uh, conservative who came out and said, you know what, I'm fine with that. That's fine. You know, these people are traitors. These people, they lost, you know, that that's good. You know, get rid of them, uh, you know, put them in a museum somewhere. They don't belong, you know, being, you know, they're never going to attack the bigger stuff. It's never going to be a problem that, they, you know, they'll get rid of the Confederates and they deserve it. And then slowly but surely, of course, the uh, you know the statues of Teddy Roosevelt and Abraham Lincoln you know the you know, arguments can be made there but uh, you know <laughs> the 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 statues of you know George Washington and Thomas Jefferson all of a sudden they start disappearing and it turns out all those conservative guys in theory the the guys who are out there saying it's fine if we take down the Confederates and it'll stop there. All of them just uh, d- disappeared when these their heroes were st- uh, started getting torn down. And so this is how the left always does it. They go to some kind of corner case. They think that's going to be possibly defensible. They pull it down there. Their allies in the squishy uh, conservative um, portion of the media start you know, running cover for them, explaining how possibly there could be a reason why this needs to happen. And by the time, uh, you know, that the movement has moved beyond their own justifying logic, it's too late. And they don't they don't come the defense of any of this stuff at the end. They don't they certainly don't 
switch and say, oh, wait, I was wrong. I have to go back and stop it because the goal has already been achieved. achieved. People have already normalized this action. The police know to stand down. They know to just you know stand back and watch this, let it happen. And that's also a very key part of this that people need to remember. The state doesn't need to do this, right? We have private publishers, private companies erasing the past in these books, altering them for, for uh, political correctness. We have uh, quasi-legal mobs, these mobs that should be illegal, they should be doing something illegal, but basically have the blessing of the state because they're not being stopped. And anytime the state is actively not stopping a crime, guys, like this, you need to understand the state is endorsing it. When the state doesn't stop a BLM rise it, uh, a BLM uh, protest, a BLM riot, they are endorsing that riot. When they don't stop the destruction of these statues, they're endorsing it. When they don't stop the terrorizing of people, uh, the, the you know the the massive theft. When they don't stop these things, they are actively endorsing it. And so we can see that the the state doesn't have to take action. They don't have to violate the constitution. They don't have to you know actually do anything that formally crosses the line they can simply give a, a knowing nod to those that will do their work for them yeah i think that's the the biggest aspect and takeaway of sam francis's description of anarcho tyranny is that your biggest you know state sponsor of domestic terrorism really is the government when it opts to just simply stand back and stand by and let these things happen to accomplish a very similar ideological goal, whether that be what we saw in 2020 when there was alleged lockdowns across the country, but somehow you were immune to a virus if you were protesting um, you know, racism and police brutality. And these things tend to, to happen to, a, to secure an achieved goal. And when you have similar ideologies in both the state and the private sector, that's when the public-private distinction gets incredibly murky and almost pointless because it really doesn't matter when, you know, say Jen Psaki was when she was the, uh, you know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Press secretary. It wouldn't matter what she had to say, what the official position of the White House was or what you know her position may be from the government, because it was also going to be shared by virtually everyone else inside Silicon Valley, the mainstream press, democratic activists, and those that work at Act Blue in order to accomplish a very specific goal. And they know that they can simply stand back and stand by when they know that there have been powerful progressive financiers that have funded, you know, district attorney campaigns to ensure that these people aren't going to be lenient. You have an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that we're not going to be as tough on crime as we used to be. And so, yeah, I mean, this is where the state can simply allow these things to take place and not anyone's going to do about it. Because when we see any instance of, you know, the right doing something, that's when the full brunt of the state will come down against them. I mean, we saw that most clearly, I think, recently when Tucker Carlson was covering the uh, the Douglas Mackey trial, when similar people were making very um, progressive memes about the 2016 election, and he was doing the same thing, but to support Trump, you know, the the regime came down on him, you know, years after that election, only when Biden got into office. Yeah, people need to understand that, of course, you know, politics is about rewarding your friends and punishing your enemies. And that's what is going on here they understand the goal they understand what they want to do they don't have any going that's this is the misconception by so many on the right they think that if you can just go back and rewrite the constitution or have some kind of con you know some kind of convention of the states go go back and add a few extra um you know amendments and and fix a clause loophole or two then all of a sudden the government will be magically forced to follow the, the, the new language in the constitution. But the government doesn't follow the language in the constitution now. They don't follow the language in their own laws now. The obvious truth is that there is no equal protection under the law in the United States. There is a degree of this, of course, we should acknowledge. Like they're not just going out and rounding up, you know, hosts on the blaze or something like that, right? So there that there there is some level of uh, neutrality they need to pretend they need to kind of respect at some level but out of these uh at, at, out of these edges where they have the option 
of identifying things as a crime, they will because it reliably lets them punish their enemies, whether they're spying on Catholics at the Latin Mass, whether or they're arresting pro-life protesters, or whether they are ignoring the murder of a, 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 a unarmed woman at the state cap or at the nation's capital. You know, the, these are decisions that they're making repeatedly to show who actually is favored, who's in charge, who's going to win these confrontations and who's going to lose them. And if you continue to think that you're just going to you know, write a few laws, you're going to rearrange things, then you're going to be able to kind of protect this stuff. You don't understand what's going on. And so I think it's just incredibly important for conservatives every, everywhere to grasp that while the Constitution, for all of its many you know, positives, may at some point have protected you and your liberties, it does not do so now. And it will not do so now because the Constitution itself was never the guarantee the guarantor of those liberties. What was guaranteeing your liberties was the willingness of the people and the willingness of government officials to back up the principles inside that constitution. And if you don't have a government that is actively carrying that out, is actively animated by the principles of the document, then the document itself has no binding power. Absolutely. And when you don't have a cultural formation where the nation is socialized on a set of predicated beliefs, whether you know, it didn't matter in, say, 18 or 90 or 1925 on too much on major political differences. There was still a vast degree of alignment on what needed to be done for the good of the country. That doesn't exist anymore. And so appeals to the Constitution or when the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, you know, makes his promises and he reads the entire Constitution on the House floor, it, it, fa it falls on deaf ears. And the same way that, say, Sir Robert Filmer appealing to the divine right of kings would not matter at all to someone like John Stuart Mill. Uh, time and time again, when you don't have a counter-prevailing ideology or a civic religion that is better than, say, what you're currently fighting against, you're going to lose. And what seems to happen with a lot of mainstream conservatives, especially with the Republican Party and its various apparatchiks, is that they want to go back to this idea of value-free or neutral institutions, which throughout the history of government, throughout the history of the world, that has never existed. Value-free institutions do not exist. It is always going to have a select bias based upon the culture and where you've been educated. And the right wants to go back to a time where somehow we could all watch my friend Martin in the 1990s and seemingly get along. I mean, that sort of cultural optimism of that decade is not coming back. And I understand the powerful drive of nostalgia. But it, what matters when we see these things is that they want to ensure that anything prior to say 1990 or even 2014 or 2015 or something before 1939 all that aspect of culture all that aspect of an identity is erased and so not only are we seeing some sort of you know damnatio memore when it comes to the past figures like george washington or thomas jefferson but we're also seeing it now with all aspects of childhood culture um, we see this of course with various remakes instituting uh, progressive ideas you know, they, they had a big hype for the bringing back of a, like the Proud family, a sort of a, a cartoon with an African-American family in the late 90s, early 2000s, runs for one season. And it's the most woke thing possible because we have to perpetually infantilize, reprogram and utilize nostalgia to ensure that there's a progressive message to illustrate, hey, we, we've gotten older. We're more progressive. We're more enlightened. We must be more egalitarian. We must be more anti-racist. And in doing so, um, the constant revolution comes for all. And if it hasn't come for you yet, it most likely will. Yeah, I mean, P Paul Godfrey's assertion that kind of the, the, the core, almost the religion of America at this point is denazification feels very real, right? It, it, it rings very true. And the, you, you have to purge everything. You have to purge all of America's history as if it was the mid-century Germans. Like you have to get, you have to scrape every symbol. You have to destroy every uh, idea that links things together, any kind of cultural, traditional uh, association. You have to destroy every aspect of prior American culture, because if you don't, like you said, then, then these evils of, of racism or, you know, xenophobia or whatever could leak back into society. You have to destroy all possible links to the contagion. And so there's this scorched earth policy. There's this carefully curated history. And it's important for people to remember this has been going on for a very long time. You know, that this is not new. Uh, obviously the changing of authors works. I mean, Agatha Christie had a book called, 
you know, 12 in 12 little Indians. And before that it was called 12 little gamer words. Uh, and now it has an entirely different uh, uh, title, of course, because that book is unmarketable, but Agatha Christie is marketable. And so they need to rename it so they can, you know, they can sell it to uh, a generation that would otherwise be offended by the language. Nothing, everything, you know, one of, one of the beauties of the, uh, of the market is it can justify the shaving off of, off of all this stuff, right? Because if you can go back and sell it to people, then it's fine to repackage it and get rid of the things that might offend current audiences. And so it, it becomes less of a political or cultural statement. It becomes more of a financial bottom line, right? I want to be able to acquire this comic book. I want to be able to acquire this novel. I want to be able to go ahead and remake the Shakespeare play. But man, there's some, there's some words in there we don't use anymore. And so each iteration of this thing just you know, uh, erases a lot of the cultural context, a lot of the past, a lot of the things that you need to understand in in order to really understand the work and therefore transforms it into something entirely different. Absolutely. And I think that this is one of the the bigger things that we we have to see out of there. I mean, Paul Gottfried, I think in his description of like America's real founding religion, it's year zero is the end of World War II. And so our global crusade throughout the world is to provided, you know, very similar to what George F. Kennan critiques about American diplomacy. We have to sell a warm fuzzy to ourselves as we go abroad. So while, you know, Secretary of State Blinken wants to put, quote unquote, progress flags on, you know, part of every U.S. embassy, um, you know, sort of replacing the original, you know, stars and stripes with a, a rainbow colored flag. And in the same time, you know, we're, we're haunted. There's a uh, I, I know that postmodernism is not the most favored thing around in these circles, but um you know, Jacques Derrida had written a book called The Spectre of Marx, which had been later fleshed out by others like Mark Fisher and co. And um, Derrida's argument was is that, you know, a lot of capitalist societies, they're haunted by Marxism, that any sort of aspect of, you know, market regulation will be labeled as Marxist. And we have to suddenly push back against that. I think that we're seeing that same thing happen now. And I think Gottfried nails it very, very well. The reason why we have this perpetual revolution that we can't look back on the past as fondly in the progressive worldview is is that a lot of those things would be associated with, say, nationhood, a homogenous culture, things that instantly trigger a warning in the back of their head as if there's a certain mustache gentleman still haunting their dreams every night when they go to bed. And so time and time again, we have to edit the culture. We have to recast certain things. We have to ensure a total erasure of what used to be the American culture, the American brand, in order to adjust to the new warm fuzzy that we have to sell ourselves. And I'm glad that you mentioned like the sort of market incentive to it, because that's, again, where the public-private distinction gets so murky. We have to respond to incentives by the culture, even though, you know, we see this even more blatantly, right, in video games. It's been almost 10 years since Gamergate's taken place, and you still have people talking about the need for you know progressive games and representation but the people that are wanting these things are the people that wouldn't play those video games in the first place it's the reason why even dungeons and dragons now has a near indestructible wheelchair that you can use to lug around and have wheelchair accessible dungeons for goodness sakes but the people that would buy that stuff aren't the people that would have played that game in the first place but you have to make sure that all aspects of your ideology are taken over completely. And like you said, that's why you have that perfectly apt term, the total state. It is totalizing, it will eat everything, and it will erase anything that you find to have a semblance of tradition, culture, or even things that look like you. Yeah, I think that that concept of hauntology is so important too. I'm really glad that you brought that up because it is so much of what animates us right now. I, you know, Someone tweeted out uh, a couple days ago, you know, well, if we weren't, if if World War II wasn't fought for democracy and the rule of law and uh, and the and the rights of refugees, then what was it fought over? <laughs> and that's just an amazing thing. Like that tweet went wide; it was very popular, you know. And it's just like, well, do you think a lot of GIs were just running in there for the rights of trans kids? Like that, you know, that meme: "What were they dying for?" And it's yeah. the guys getting <laughs> landing in D-Day, and you just fill the bubble with the most insane wokeness, right? But yeah, this this idea that uh, that everyone in 1945 on the American side or on the Soviet side, which for some reason always seems to get lost, uh, you know, was on board with uh, you know the current progressive zeitgeist is just absolutely insane. Every one of these people who would have won this war during Year Zero would have been labeled horrifically racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever by those currently in charge they all in fact many of the people 
who were who were fighting in that war have been canceled you know because of opinions that they would have held at that time and so now you know we see even though they're adjusting you know kind of the the timeline for america and its founding the 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 creation of the the world order of post you know 1945 america they they still have to reject even those values even those values are insufficiently progressive and because they could always lead back somehow even the people who defeated the mid-century germans could lead us back to the mid-century germans if we actually followed any of their values or were tied to any of their culture yeah and i think that you see again like we said hauntology is very apt here they are haunted by what came before 1945 they're haunted by what came before you know 1865 a much more uh you know decentralized form of government where the states had more importance where our senators were representatives of their respective states not the popular will and like you said there's always constant debate over what's the new year zero i think that's why you see so much debate over well is it you know post 2015 is it post you know are the you know we have our new year zero like oh america's not really founded in 1776 it's founded in 1619 you see this constant push of revolution this bit of dialectical argumentation over and over and over again about where is year zero and what is the original sin of this country like we had said earlier at the beginning of this conversation the progressive aspect of the left knows that you need to have a totalizing civic religion to socialize everybody under and that you have to make sure that there are no incentives to be an apostate to it. And so uh, if that means canceling you, if that means throwing you in jail or making sure that you get fired and that you're um, essentially punished for, for breaking the rules until you come groveling back for an apology, uh, it'll never be enough for them. And again, this is probably why you shouldn't apologize for what you believe in. And secondly, uh, when it comes to things, whether it be children's books, the recasting of traditional um, say European folk tales to, to meet some progressive monstrosity that we currently see come out of Disney quite often these days. All of this is illustrative of that, you know, this stuff's marketed not just to you, but more importantly, it's your children. They don't care that the Oscars are at the lowest bit ever um, in terms of viewership. They don't care that, you know, the Super Bowl had the lowest ratings or whatever. What matters to them is that these things are accessible to one, their staunchest believers, but two, the youth that are interested in it or have already bought into the religion. And when you can do that, you not only strengthen the emotional zeal and zealotry of your foot soldiers, but you also have the next generation bought into these beliefs. And even when things have sort of a, a conservative tough guy veneer, it's even better for them to sort of twist that progressive knife into your back to let them know that actually, no, this is meant for our values, not yours. That be the, the Black Rifle Coffee Company or more recently with the, the Yellowstone TV show. All these things are meant to illustrate that it doesn't matter what kind of code of, you know, tough guy, true grit painting that we put on it. Uh, at the end of the day, it's our values and nobody else's. Yeah. And that's so difficult because I think conservatives are rightly just desperate to see their values reflected in anything. Right. And so they see some level of cultural coding, some level, some indication. This might be on my side. This might connect to my history. This might venerate something that I think is worthy of it. And they buy in. Right. And then they don't realize that, you know, a couple episodes in, you know, the the colors of Benetton show up and then the trans disabled student. And then we get the lecture on the importance of diversity against the Nazis. And, and uh, all of a sudden, this thing that was supposed to be coded as, you know, uh, as conservative or, or, you know, having the values of of kind of the American heartland is completely uh, subverted right and and it's taken away from them and it's it's so difficult because at this point i think it's hard uh, I, I forget who i was talking about this with but they made the really excellent point of it's hard for conservatives to even uh, even understand how a story resolves how, how like a fictional story would resolve in their favor right they, they don't even know the, the only story arcs they see anymore are uh you know a woman of color overtakes something like, you know, they, they don't, they don't even understand how, what it would mean for their, for their side to win. And for someone uh, who represents their tradition and represents their heritage, represents their worldview, uh, represents their culture to succeed in the modern world. It's hard for them to envision that. And of course, that's the point, right? If you can rob people of that vision, if you can rob people of that connection, if you can rob people of the language and, and, and the context necessary to imagine a future in which they flourish 
then their dream dies, their identity dies, their culture dies, and it can be replaced with something else. Well, this is why it's so important when we see these children's stories being edited or recastings take place. It's to ensure that, you know, the progressive side, which throughout history has always been associated with destruction, mass murder, and the capitalization of upending all things that we respect, whether that be the divine, the natural importance of hierarchy, landed gentry, things that had been the great cultural drivers of our society, uh, has to change. We see this all the time, like you had said earlier, when it came to the discussion of the Confederate flags. What does the only like what what does the modern left only seem to care about when it comes to the issue of the Civil War? Well, they only really care about General Sherman's march to the sea and making sure that Atlanta was burned down and the countless hundreds of thousands of people were displaced, starved, or were murdered. They have to identify with evil. And so they have to recast these stories. They have to go out of their way to ensure that actually they can sell it to everybody that we're the good guys. We're not the evil ones. It's again, we're, we're haunted by the specter of the mid-century German. We're haunted by the specter of the clan hood. All these things that um, we have to illustrate that we are the good guy. And so, you know, if they can paint even ordinary people like you and I as these disgusting fascists, racists, whatever, um, anything that they can do to justify the extremist form of violence, whether it be the state or themselves, to to go with it. Because at the end of the day, the, the left will look at various characters or comics or whatever, and they'll always self-insert themselves. It's so blatantly obvious. They can't write a, a good story to save their lives without it becoming a confessional that they're identifying with evil. And they have to change that in a way so that the next generation realizes, no, 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 we're the, we're not the bad guys. How could we be the bad guys? Our our neighbors were where you know they had an American flag. Of course, we had to burn their house down. Those type of things happen all the time. Or someone stands up about their neighbors and making sure that they're not abusing their children. Well, you know now there's going to be a mob outside their house, and you're going to have to move and. Probably you're never going to get a job again. And if you do get a job, well, good luck making the money that you used to be making. And that tends to be the case time and time again with these sort of progressive narratives and revisions is that you have to take down the old and bring up something new that illustrates that you are the victor. And if that means that we have to totally revise history to where, you know, Reese Witherspoon is prostrating and on her knees before, you know, a man in a dress, then so be it. That's the way it has to go for them. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. And it's amazing. You know, you remember the, of course, the, the punch of the Nazi meme, right? Yeah. Which was the, you know, uh, which is a lot of what you're talking about, justifying that violence. If I can, if, of course, we can punch Nazis, Nazis are evil. Oh, and it turns out anyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi. Therefore, I get to punch everyone I disagree with. And that violence is not just acceptable, but righteous, right? And it's funny, because you know, at first, someone like Captain in America is a very difficult character for the left, right? Because it's an embodiment of patriotism and this history that they hate. And and it's very difficult for them to process that character that's somebody that they laughed at and scoffed at, despised, deconstructed over and over again. And then, you know, you they enter this phase where, with something like Camp Captain America where he's he himself is dejected, right? He himself is... He's deconstructing his own existence. He, uh, how can I follow America when it's like this? How can everything I believed in is falling apart? And now they've come back around, and now Captain America beats up a bunch of uh, villains who are talking like Jordan Peterson, right? They, they, they. I literally took pieces of Jordan Peterson's you know, like speeches and put them into the mouth of Red Skull. And so now Captain America is reimagined not as something to be avoided, not something to be chided, not for something to be uh, dejected or or scorned or laughed at, or, and no longer like something that's a, a you know deconstruction of America and is disappointed and, and has lost his faith. But now he's fully restored in the same cartoonish nineteen you know forties uh, propaganda uh, usage. It's just now he's pump punching the ideas of someone who would have been in you know, the, on the American side in 1945 would have been an American GI, but he's, he's punching people who are espousing the views of people who otherwise probably would have been fighting the Nazis in the first place. Right. And so it's just funny to see that come full circle when we're talking about the way that they see themselves, the way they justify their use of propaganda, their, their re uh, tooling of characters. It's not just the alteration of words and books. It's the complete repurposing of forms because they can't really create forms of their own. They're not very good 
at uh, really creating this kind of stuff anymore. Everyone can feel that in Hollywood. Everyone can feel that in the cultures, how stale it's become, how impossible it is for them to really breathe any kind of life into something and create a new form, a new way of being. And the only thing they can do is go back and basically reconstruct the the very propaganda they used to make fun of and repurpose it for their own, you know, very shallow construction of uh, the of kind of this woke religious mindset. Yeah, and this is why, again, they have to take these, you know, heroes of old and sort of uh, reconstruct them in a way that hasn't anything to do with their original meaning. Whether that be a few years back, they said Superman wasn't going to say truth, justice in the American way, or Mm -hmm. Captain America punching Jordan Peterson as Red Skull. Uh, These things are done because, again, it's that identification with evil. They they know what they believe in is antithetical to civilization. I mean, uh, let's... I think I replied to your tweet when we were talking about the definition of woke from that one character is just the wokeness as we know it is anti-civilizational. We have to deconstruct everything and we have to rebuild it so that the identification with evil is then the inversion of values. And now it's the identification with all that is good. Um, You know, we see this often, most likely, like you said, with Captain America and other franchises. I think they were joking about making like Luke Skywalker gay now with the sort of Disney properties these things are meant to illustrate that there is an innate sort of ugliness with what they want to advocate for a liberation of all things, you know, taken away from any traditional moral order or civic, you know, orderliness that we see within societies. You know, we have to say that, no, the the things that made the country what it is today and what made it good, you know, are no longer applicable to us. And I think that these things are done primarily so they don't have to look at the mirror in themselves, not just physically, but ideologically, because, you know, if you can convince yourself and hype yourself up that, you know, it is okay to punch a Nazi, even though the guy that you just punched was your neighbor that had, you know, babysat your kids or, you know, invited you to their cookout on a Sunday afternoon to grill. It doesn't matter now. You know, you can find any sort of a justification under this sort of progressiveness uh, to ensure that, no, actually, that guy is my existential enemy and to do it. Um, you know, and in a lot of ways that sort of illustrates the point that um, in City Journal that N.S. Lyons wrote that, you know, actually it is the, the progressives that are sort of the true inheritors of Carl Schmitt's friend enemy distinction is because any question that they ask are these formulated, perfectly packaged wedge questions uh, in order to uh, determine is your way of belief, is your way of life um, one day down the line, an existential threat to my existence. And if so, I better preemptively take care of you now. This is why we've seen everything from, you know, uh, promoting openly Satanism inside church, uh, inside of, you know, schools for after school clubs and groups, um, you know, giving carte blanche inside America and also more recently in Canada to destroy um, traditional religious orders and churches. These things are meant to ensure that from childhood, from cradle to grave, um, everything that you believe in is considered right, progressive, you're heroic. But for many outsider for, like us would look at this and see that, no, this is evil, destructive, and will inevitably bring down the civilization that once existed here. Yeah. And like you said, it's it's really important if you're going to turn neighbor against neighbor like that, if you're going to push the revolution to the point where you can you can have people look at the guy who, you know, they used to you know go to their pool party and babysit each you know, kids and stuff and look at that person as just existential uh, evil, then they they have to alter the shared past that would allow you to bind together and see each other as sharing something that, of value that, that, that kind of uh, holds you together. And so that's why, you know, again, none of this is new when you look at, you know, what history is being taught in the last 30 years, in 40 years in government schools. It's really essential for them to go back and pretend, you know, slavery is just a construction of America. So, you know, I, I used to teach, uh, you know, high school history. And guess what? Uh, they focus a lot on the Spanish slave trade because so many came to America. They focus, of course, on every slave that ever uh, was held in the United States. And funny enough, when you get to Islam, when you get to any of the uh, you know Islamic civilizations, there's just almost no information on that. And I don't live in a particularly liberal state. I wasn't teaching a particularly liberal area. This is everywhere and has been for many, many decades, right? And we see this with like the 1950s meme. I'm sure everyone uh, or a lot of people watching this have seen that 1950s meme where it's a it's the happy uh, family grilling in the backyard. Uh, but uh, you know, someone has gone in and 
and uh you know erased all of the the or given thought bubbles to everyone and you know one's like i'm gay I and mean, the woman's like i'm depressed and trapped in my home and the father's like i'm having an affair you know and of course the message here is the past was never good you know the, no one ever owned homes no one ever had intact families there was never uh, there are never safe streets. Uh, you know, there was never a place where you could go where you had didn't, didn't have to worry about shoplifting. And you know, there there was never a uh, a scenario where people were happy and worshipped God and and you know were bound bound together in a community by uh, you know this religious context. Th th these are all just illusions, and we have to shatter them every moment. Because if there was that shared background, if there was that thing to identify with, people might not be willing to turn on each other like this for the new cultural gods. Absolutely. And I think this is the another reason why you had seen so much of, of recasting or even period pieces being illustrated for the, the sake of diversity. I think Bridgerton comes to mind on, on Netflix, uh, which you shouldn't give your money to to begin with. Um, but you have to recast it to where the, the past, the sort of, you know, uh, culturally and um, ethnically homogenous past of the 1950s, which, again, they, they target the 50s and 60s so much before all the sort of uh, hippiedom and the progressive side of its revolution of the civil rights era because it's documented. There is plenty of historical footage of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s that illustrates a homogenous, unified American culture that wasn't advocating for the destruction of its own values, of its own founders and principles even at the time when a lot of these sort of um, Confederate memorials that were being put up, a lot of this is happening in the 1910s and 20s as a way to sort of bury the hatchet as America becomes a more globalized power in the midst of the horrors of Reconstruction. All of these things had taken place where, you know, soldiers would shake hands left or right, the gray and the blue, looking over photos and meeting one another. Uh, that doesn't have to happen. That doesn't happen nowadays because, you know, the past wasn't actually as... Um, peaceful and as you know culturally nice as it was where i could go out somewhere and leave my car unlocked or i didn't have to worry about the the trains constantly derailing but nowadays no we're now dealing with a an institution of government but also of culture and its many facets that exist that want to tell you that no like this is the way that it's going to be and if you protest it well clearly you're a nazi and we have to punch you out but secondly, no, the past was always like this. Your childhood was never actually as good as it once was. It was always diverse. It was always going to have problems with, you know, crime or inequality, or you were always the oppressor by birth. These are the aspects of progressivism. And I know that sometimes it can be a difficult thing to, to walk on. It can sort of be a, a trip mining conversation or even in politics. Lord knows we've seen that on the right more times than we care to count. But that tends to be the nature of how this operates. And I think that it's very good that these things are being addressed. I think Michael Anton's piece about the celebration parallax, you know, it's not a, it's not happening, but it's a good thing that it's happening with regards mm -hmm. to immigration. You know, thousands of people just crossed the U.S.-Mexico border by force into El Paso, Texas. And, you know, they're not going to do anything. They want this because this means later down the line, um, it's easier to have lower civic engagement. It's less likely for you to organize politically against the, the government or the system. And in doing so, um, it makes it easier to control and rule you when nobody trusts one another. Nobody knows what the actual history of the past really was. And it's constantly being re erased and rewritten every day, both in public education, movies, culture, media, television, etc. And to speak out against it, well, I hope you're okay with losing your job. Yeah, and before we, you know, we're getting to, to the end of our hour here. Before we go, I want to take some time to talk about the importance of decentralization and physical media. I, this is probably obvious to a lot of people given that they're just editing books, uh, but it becomes incredibly important for the preservation of your culture and for the your connection to the past and for just your general sanity and ability to show that like there is a uh, you know there is a continuity to reality and you haven't lost your mind that you you get off the digital carousel in a lot of ways you need to own physical copies of books especially books written before these different year zeros though we, as we can see from the alteration of like goosebumps like nothing is safe right this is only written what 30 years ago at most at this point yeah. um and 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 so those things you know even newer books aren't necessarily safe but you need to you don't need to own your back catalog on kindle guys okay you don't need to only view movies through your streaming services 
those things are going to get disappeared. Those things are going to get edited. The the digital books you have are going to get uh, edited, and you're not even going to know that it was done. You know, the all of this will will happen. You know, again, the market solution here. You know, the the Roald Dahl books they're coming out and they're doing a classic edition without the edits. So the market can always solve the problem, right? Don't worry. You know, there's there's there the real books are still there if you want them, and we get to reissue them in you know fancy new, more expensive you know bindings for for collectors or whatever. So they're they're going to use these methods to try to destroy history. And it's really important during this time. You know, there, there are many people ask, what can we do? What can we do in the times like this? And one of the things you can do is preserve. You know, you, you're, you can't always stop different parts of the cultural revolution, but you can save things. You can preserve things from what's happening, right? And so making sure that you own physical copies of these things, not just books, of course, also, you know, movies, uh, music, uh, other media that everyone's gotten used to, uh, to uh, streaming, gotten used to having digitally, needs to be acquired in in physical copies that are not connected to some central thing where they can be altered, downloaded, you know, reconfigured uh, and and represented without you knowing. Also, decentralization, okay? You cannot have regional particularities. You cannot res- you cannot respect regional sensibilities and cultures. These things cannot emerge until the cultural distribution networks are broken, which means Things like defunding public schools, you know, or, or finding uh, alternative avenues for education. The work of guys like Corey DeAngelis or Chris Rufo, freeing uh, the education money that parents are paying in taxes from the centralized system and allowing it to go back to alternatives that might be able to differentiate instruction, create new, uh, you know, uh, uh, courses. Uh, that kind of stuff is really powerful. It doesn't seem like it's important in the moment. It doesn't seem as central as like winning a big election or, you know, some sweeping legislation. But all of that stuff, it gets manipulated and broken down anyway through the centralized system. What you need to do is detach in every way possible your cultural consumption, cultural camp rat or uh, your culture apparatus from the system. And that's why the things like alternative media, things like, uh, you know, social media where we can break away and create fractures, alternatives like blaze TV and others allow you to have some distribution outside of that censorship and that ability to constantly alter what's going on. Yeah. I would, um, only just urge your audience and those listening on every other platform that, uh, in times where it seems like the uh, barbarians at the door, you know, the preservation of physical media is something that we have to do or we're, we're called upon to do it. Oftentimes, you know, there's that myth from new atheists and sort of people that read Gibbons, you know, Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, that we fell into some kind of dark ages. Well, primarily what was preserved were by Western Christian and Eastern Roman and, you know, Byzantine you know, monasteries and officials that preserve great works of literature. Uh, we have so many translations of the Iliad and the Odyssey today and other great works by Plato, Aristotle, and Homer, uh, because those people took it upon them to preserve that and carry it on for the next generation. So if that means preserving is something as simple as a children's book like Ronald Dahl or even Goosebumps or greater important pieces of documentation of historical um, importance to you, you have to do it. We're, we're called upon to do it because if this stuff is erased now, it's not coming back 50, 60, 2000 years later. Um, it will be gone by these people because their control over media, the digital network and systems are far greater than any time of period of, say, you know, the Visigoths or the, the Gauls are coming down to sack Rome. Um, it's a lot different now and it's a lot more encompassing and totalizing. And so you're going to have to be that, you know, monastic out in the middle of nowhere in Italy or out in the middle of nowhere in Greece or Turkey uh, that's going to preserve these great works. And if that means you have a giant library that you get to pass on to your children, what a blessing for your kids. Mm. What a blessing for your wife. What a blessing for your friends that realizes, oh, this guy actually has a translation of, you know, Ronald Dahl about the witches where they didn't take out everything that was bad. Or you have an original copy of all the James Bond books by Ian Fleming that includes all sorts of cultural insensitivities of today, but were perfectly fine back then. Um, those things are going to be all the more important in the future. And I can't agree with Oren more than physical media and being able to not be just hooked on the Netflix, you know, right into your veins, 
that stuff matters more than ever because, you know, even though the entertainment might be good at the same time, what's being pumped into your eye sockets, your brains and your blood system is only going to be the same progressive twisting of the knife that they want you gone and that the civilization that you and your forefathers built isn't worth the time and they got to make it something new. Absolutely. You, you got to carry that stuff into the futures, guys. Like make home libraries great again, you know, get back in there start collecting this stuff prepare to pass it on to the next generation make sure that that this moves forward no matter what right because the this will continue you won't have control of all of it, it it's going to take a long time uh before you know the right is in a position to be able to preserve these things on the wider you know civilizational scale and so you have to do the work one family at a time one community at a time and and uh, like the potential said, you are called to do this. It's a moral imperative. So so you know, buy old books, <laughs> read them, carry them on, tell people about them. You know, make make sure that you are being part of that cultural continuity that you're passing that on. Because if you don't do it, no one else will. It certainly won't be the television. It certainly won't be the movie theater. It certainly won't be anything else. So you, you got to make sure that you do that all right guys well we're going to go ahead and start wrapping this up but before we do prudentialists please let us know where can we find all of your very excellent work well thank you Warren, once again for having me on if uh, you don't mind me plugging say someone like rogue scholar books these people actually do publish older oh, literature absolutely. that you're interested in mystery grove imperium press those guys would be the place to go shop for um, but my work can be found on YouTube, Substack, everywhere. I have a great link down below in the description called findmyfriends.net slash the Prudentialist. I cover American culture, politics, religion, and international relations. And that's where you can primarily find me is YouTube, Substack, Odyssey, Twitter, Telegram. All links where I might be found can be found down below. Absolutely, guys. Make sure that you are doing that. Make sure that you're checking out the Prudentialist work. And of course, if this is your first time here, you can go ahead and click subscribe. If you want to listen to this as a podcast, make sure that you're going to the Oren McIntyre show on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you do, just make sure you leave that rating or review. It really helps out with all the algorithm magic. So thanks again for everyone. Thanks again to the Prudentialist for coming on. Really appreciate it. Always a great discussion. And as always, guys, I'll talk to you next time.